We're going to begin a series this morning that, that I want to call Behold the Lamb. Behold the Lamb. And as we enter into the Christmas season, um, there's a lot of distractions. There's a lot of good things and there's a lot of distractions from the meaning of Christmas. The reality of it is, is for our culture, Christmas really isn't so much about Christ anymore, is it? Merchandising and uh, elves and reindeer and uh, Santa Claus and all of these things that, that accompany how families celebrate. And, and, and honestly, quite honestly, Christmas in large part has become very secular to where uh, individuals can love Christmas and celebrate Christmas and never have a single mention or thought of Christ. And so I have been seasoned enough as a pastor that I'm not going to get into what you do at home during Christmas and your traditions, but as I have you here in this house of God, under the word of God, under the calling that I have to instruct you in the things of God, we're going to focus on the true reason for Christmas. We're going to focus on Jesus Christ this Christmas season and the importance of his coming. And so for the next few day, few week, few Sundays, I, I want to do that and, and turn our focus to Jesus Christ. You know, one of the earliest revelations about Jesus Christ, one of the earliest uh, statements and testimonies about him comes from John the Baptist. In John chapter 1, we have that. Uh, John the Baptist is being asked who he is, what he's about, and, and he says, I'm not fit to tie the sandals of the one who is to come. And then the next day, as those who have been questioning John the Baptist are there, Jesus presents himself to John the Baptist. And and John the Baptist makes this statement that's really an odd statement if you don't understand the rest of the context. John the statement looks at Jesus and he tells those who have been asking him, is he the Messiah? Who is he? He looks to Jesus and he says, behold the Lamb who takes away the sin of the world. And so this Christmas season, as John magnifies Jesus and points to Jesus, I I hope to point you to Jesus, to magnify Jesus, that we would focus on who he is and the importance of who Jesus is. And, And this morning, I want us to start by starting at the beginning of the Bible where we first see a picture of the Lamb of God who takes away the sins. All the way back in Genesis chapter 3, if you you have the text, look with me. Let me read it. I'm going to read a large section, but we're just going to focus on a small part this morning. Genesis 3, let me begin in verse 1, if you want to follow along. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the other beasts in the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God actually say you are not to eat of the tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of any fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. The serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, And that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, 
And she also gave of some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Verse 7. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and wife hid themselves from the presence of God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? Verse 12. The man said, The woman who you gave to be with me, she gave the fruit of the tree to me and I ate it. And then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me and I ate. And the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, you are cursed above all livestock and above all beasts of the field and on your belly you shall go and the dust you shall eat all the days of your life. Verse 15, and this is the verse that we will highlight this morning. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman he said, surely I will multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree which I have commanded you, you shall, and to, I have commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for of it you are taken for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. And the man called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. This may seem like a strange place to start a Christmas series. But the reason that I come here and I start in Genesis 3 is because in the midst of man's greatest tragedy, we find the first hope of God's greatest promise. In the midst of man's sin and rejection, we see God's love and God's sovereignty. In the midst of sin entering into man and, and destroying and decaying all that God had created in the garden, we see God's plan of redemption told. Genesis 3 verse 15 is a very important verse of the Bible. It is what is often called the first gospel. The first gospel presentation because here in the midst of the cursing, in the midst of the sin, in the midst of the disobedience, God sets forth this little nugget that will work its way throughout Genesis, through Exodus, throughout the Old Testament, through the covenants that God will establish with his people, all the way until the day that we see Jesus come to the scene. I love this picture here that's on the, the slide this is a, a picture, I believe the name of it is when 
Eve meets Mary. And the idea when you look at it is you see Eve with the snake wrapped around her foot and you see her look to Mary pregnant and the serpent's head is under her foot. It's a beautiful picture that's played out throughout the Bible. This, this picture alone summarizes so much of what's played out through the Old Testament and then through the New Testament with the promise of God that's found all the way back in Genesis chapter 3. At the fall of man, we have the hope of Christ. Isn't that beautiful? And so this morning I want us to start at the beginning. This morning, I want us to start at this promise, this great promise of the Lamb of God who will come to take away the sins, the sins that that began in Genesis chapter 3, the sins that we have inherited from our father Adam, the sins that we have committed and the sinfulness that we know because of the sin of our first fathers that we were born into is taken away by Jesus, the one who will crush the head of the serpent, the one who will have victory. And so there's three things that I want us to think about this morning. There's so much more that can be said from this text. I I know that, and I'm resisting not to preach a three-hour sermon. I mean, I know the new seats are comfy, but uh, but I'm not going to do that. We're going to focus just on Christ in this passage this morning. And there's three things that I want you to see. The first is, what we see in this text, what we see in Genesis 3, verse 15, is the person of the one promise. The person of the one promise. There's a lot here when you begin to look at this passage and think about it, and think about it in the context of the rest of the Bible and the coming of Jesus that is made clear and that is amazing because Mary didn't understand everything here. Or not Mary, definitely not Mary. Eve didn't understand everything here. Adam didn't understand everything here. Satan didn't understand everything here. But we, being on this side of Christ, of having the word of God to guide us, can look back and see the richness of the promise that's made all the way back in Genesis 3. There's two things I want you to see about his, the person It says here, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. The first thing that we see here is that he is unique in his origin. The seed, the the promise, the offspring is very unique within his origin. The the wording that God uses here at the promise in the garden is very interesting. He, He looks to the woman and says, your seed, that's the that's the literal word, your seed versus his seed. Now, what's very interesting here is if you read in Genesis, you find very early on that that God has created man in his image, and he creates woman. And they are complementary, but they are different. I know, countercultural, crazy things, right? Men and women are different. And part of the uniqueness and the difference between men and women is so that they can procreate, that they can have children. And a man alone doesn't have a child. And a woman alone doesn't have a child. And a man and a man don't have a child. 
and a woman and a woman don't have a child. I, I know, I'm just, I'm, I'm hitting everything today, right? It's just. <laughs> but the reality of it is, is that when God says the promise here, did you notice? The promise is to the woman and to her seed. That's a very odd way to talk about uh, procreation. It's a very odd way to talk about how children would come given the rest of the way that Genesis is laid out between the, the need for the man and the woman. And so what we see very early on, even in the early parts of Genesis, is this. Something very unique is going to happen to fulfill this promise. And something very unique does happen. As we read through the New Testament, or through the Old Testament, and then to the New Testament, we see this played out. We see how just this very interesting little glimpse of the uniqueness of the seed that will come through the woman is played out throughout Isaiah. Um, and through Gabriel, as he announces to Mary and to Joseph, what we see is that, that, that a virgin shall conceive and bear forth a child. Now, we've just said that doesn't happen. It's only happened one time. And that's because Jesus Christ is not the son of Adam. Jesus Christ is the son of God. Jesus Christ didn't have an earthly father. God did something very unique in the conception of Jesus Christ. We don't know exactly how it was. Uh, in Luke, it says that the Holy Spirit overshadowed Mary and she became pregnant. But Jesus Christ is fully God and fully man. This is the uniqueness of Christmas. This is what we celebrate, is that, that Jesus Christ in his origin and in his person is unique. That a, a virgin came forth and bore a son. That God worked in a miraculous way. And the importance in all of this is theological. Christmas is all about theology. What we celebrate at Christmas is theology. And the theology is this. Jesus Christ didn't have the sin of man. He was not of Adam as we are. He was unique in his origin. And even from the very beginning, we get a hint of that. Do you see that? The offspring of the woman. Of course, as unique and as wonderful of that, again, Jesus is not just a unique human in that, that he didn't have a father. He did have a father. The father was God. He is the son of God. And so he is divine with humanity to come. And so he's very unique in that. John 1.1, John opens his gospel with this. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And then he goes to show how the word is Jesus so the first thing that we need to remember this Christmas, the first thing as we look to the fall and we look to the promise is this. God's promise is not to save us through just a better human. God's promise is not to save us just from someone who is a better example. God's promise is not to, to save us just from somebody who can live a better life. God's promise to save us is that God has come himself in flesh in Jesus Christ to overcome our sinfulness. The promise is that he's 
unique. The person of the one promised. Look also at the purpose of one promise. That's unique as well. Again, let me read the verse, get it fresh in our minds. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Within this, we have uh, two things about the purpose of the one who will come. The purpose of Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. The first is this, he's a warrior. The purpose of Jesus is, is to come and to do battle. Do you get that? It begins with this word, enmity, which I hope I'm saying right. I always want to say, enmity. I'm like on Finding Nemo, enmity, it always gets me. But the word means that there's an enemy, that there's a war, that there's a battle. And so from the very beginning, this serpent, Satan, that has come and has tempted Eve and has, has, has tricked her into taking the, the, the forbidden fruit. He didn't just trick her, he convinced her, and then she willingly did and, and brought sin and brought sin into the man. And, and, and all of this that happens begins a war. There begins this battle. And the one to come to fight this battle is the seed that will come from the woman and it says here very graphically what's going to happen. It says that in this war, Satan shall bruise the hill, but the seed, Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, who's come to take away the sins, he crushes the head. So one gives, one gives a wound and the other delivers a fatal blow. That's the picture. That Jesus Christ will win. And, and, and there is a war. Christianity is not dualism. But the reality of it is, is that there is evil in this world. There is The world is by and large opposed to God and opposed to the things of the God. Uh, to the things of God. That's why the scripture constantly says, do not love the world. Do not be of the world. But be of the kingdom of God. Love him and his commandments. Most of what the world says is popular and good is against what the Bible teaches. Do you see that? And yet, because we live in the world, our desire is always to be accepted by the world. But the reality of it is, is we have to remember that there is a battle that is going on within this world between the, the kingdom of man and the kingdom of God. And Jesus Christ has come and the the final blow has been delivered, but we await the final victory to come with his return. He is a warrior. And because there's a battle, because there's a war, we see that, that Satan does everything that he can to try to stop the seed of the woman. That's, that's much of the Old Testament and a lot of Genesis. Cain kills Abel, the, the, tries to kill out the godly line. In Genesis 6, they try to kill out the people of Israel. On and on and on. Even as you get into the New Testament, do you remember the decree to kill all of the newborn children, hoping that the seed would be destroyed? There is a battle and there is a war. Jesus came 
not to just live as an example, which he is. Jesus came to come and to fight in our place that we might be saved. Not only is he a warrior, but he is a champion. He is the champion of the war. Again, the serpent is told that he will bruise the heel, but the seed of the woman will deliver the death blow. Will crush the head. Oh, the thought that Satan must have thought as he saw Jesus upon the cross. As he saw Israel abandon Christ. As he saw him dying. Do you get for a moment that Satan might have thought that that is his high point, that he has done it, he has fought God and he has won and and, and victory is his only to see Christ rise again. Only to see that in his death he makes atonement for our sins. He becomes the lamb that is slain that we might receive forgiveness. He is the champion and the one who wins Because he's the one that wins, he gives us eternal life. His resurrection, his life is called the first fruits of all of those who would follow him. John 5, 24 says this, Truly I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes in him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death into life. Because Christ has won the victory. Third, What we see here is we see a picture of the promised one. We see a picture of the promised one. We see a picture of of what is going to happen to the one who will come, to, to this seed of the woman that will crush the head of the serpent. We see a picture of it, and and we see that picture in verse 21. If you go down to verse 21. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. Now, this is a verse that we often just kind of gloss over, right? But if you remember, um, what what happens is the man and woman, they, they eat of the tree and immediately they know that something has changed. Immediately, they... They see themselves in a different way. Immediately they feel shame. The first thing that they notice is that they're not clothed. And so they go and they try to make for themselves something. And they sew together for themselves from fig leaves coverings. But they're not adequate. So God goes and he makes for them skins of animals. So there's some things here that we can learn that it is a picture of Jesus even in this act. First is it's a picture of sacrifice. It is a picture of sacrifice. The first sin brings the first sacrifice. Could you imagine the horror that must have filled the hearts of Adam and Eve as they watched and they saw God Perform the first sacrifice to make for them fitting garments. 
to realize that, that because of their sin, remember, God said, you will sin and you will surely die. And that's what Satan said, you surely won't die. They didn't know death. Death was abstract for them, for they, they lived in paradise. And yet here, after their sin, God makes for them a garment that's fitting. They immediately realized the connection between sin and death, didn't they? They immediately realized the, the need for God's covering and the inadequacy of their own covering. And all of this points forth into the Bible. What we read is, as God continues to work with his people and the covenants are made and worship is established. And we read through the Old Testament and God develops this system of sacrifice whereby in the minds of the people, theologically what they understand is that sin leads to death. Sin leads to death and it's not immediate but still today sin leads to death and throughout the old testament we see this we see individuals who make sacrifice for their own sin through the worship system of the old testament I mean, could you imagine all right like you're walking down you I, I, anybody like the people watch right like just sit on the sofa and open the windows and just watch everybody go down. I know you do it. If you really want to have fun, go to a boat ramp on a holiday weekend. I'm just telling you, like half my sermon illustrations can come from there. Imagine living in the Old Testament times, sitting and watching. There goes Joe. He's got two heifers. Woo! Wonder what he did. And then you would take them to the temple and you would present them before the priest and you would confess your sinfulness and you would watch your, the, the design of it. What, and by the time Jesus' day happened, people had kind of removed it. They'd just go and buy some stuff. The, the connection wasn't there as much. But the original connection was you took your prized animal from your herd that you loved and that you raised and that you, you, you talked to all your friends about and said, man, this thing is awesome, isn't it? And you took it to the temple yourself, you presented it to the priest, you confessed your sin, and you watched as the sacrifice was made. The connection between sin and death. Sin and death. This is the picture all the way back in Genesis chapter 3, isn't it? They've sinned and something dies. And ultimately, because of their sin, they die. Ultimately, because of our sin, we die. But we don't sacrifice anymore. And praise Jesus, because I tried to be a farmer, and it did not go well. I ended up with a three-legged sheep. Why don't we do that? Because Jesus was our sacrifice. Because Jesus is the one who was the ultimate sacrifice. That, that what he did going to Calvary was the sacrifice for our sins once for all. So that now we no longer 
take our livestock. We no longer do those things and sacrifice to try to make propitiation for our sins because Jesus Christ has made the ultimate sacrifice once for all, the propitiation for our sin, the just dying for the ungodly that we might receive forgiveness. And all of that can be seen all the way back in Genesis chapter 3. Not only is Jesus a picture of sacrifice, but he's also a picture of sufficiency. We see a picture of sufficiency. Again, Adam and Eve sinned and they became aware of their nakedness and they went and they they tried to cobble together and sew together fig leaves to cover themselves. But it wasn't sufficient. It wasn't good enough. It wasn't what was right. And so God prepared and made a way that their covering could be made right. And so it is that we, the children of Adam, and we, the children of Eve, still today try to do the same thing. We look at our sinfulness. We recognize our inadequacies. We recognize and see that from our conscience we have broken God's law. We look to the Word of God and find out even more that we've broken God's law. And what do we do? We go and get fig leaves. Well, I'm just going to fix this. All I got to do is just show up and go to church. All, all, all that I need to do is just give a little. It, just, just, just pay it forward. And I'm sure it'll be okay. The big man upstairs, he'll, he'll be good with it. That's the natural inclination of man still today, isn't it? I'll provide for myself. I'll, I'll make it. But the reality of it is, is just as God in the garden provides a covering that is adequate and that is sufficient for them, so his adequate covering and sufficient way of salvation is through Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. Amen? And we see that picture all the way back here. You can try all kinds of things to please God. You can try religion, you can try good works, you can try clean living, but nothing is sufficient to deal with the problem of sin that you have except for the Lamb of God who was slain for that sin. To repent of your sin and to trust in Him, that alone will save. As we move into this Christmas season, I want you to know, uh, I I want you to think about the real reason for the season. I want us to continue to think about Jesus, to think about his uniqueness and, and what it is that God has done as we look throughout the scriptures and we see different pictures and hints of the Lamb of God. He's more than just a baby in a manger. He's the Savior. As we close today, let me ask you this. Do you Know him as your savior. Have you ever come to a place where you've trusted in Jesus Christ? Maybe the things that I've said to you today, you know, you've heard. But you've never actually come to a place in your life where you have repented of your sins. Where you've given up trying to sew together your own covering. And trusted in the sacrifice that God has provided for you in Jesus Christ. It's very easy. The Bible says that we are to repent and believe. Jesus Christ has done all the work. Are you willing to accept that and to receive it? If you are a believer, I pray that 
this morning as we thought about Christ, as we thought about his uniqueness, that it has stirred your heart to thankfulness. To, to, to realize and to remember the great price that was paid for you. To realize and remember that still today, even as a believer, forgiven by Jesus Christ, sin has a cost. Sin cost our Savior his life. Is there something that you need to repent of? Something that you need to ask for forgiveness of specifically? That Christ would forgive you of that. I just pray that as we enter in this Christmas season, we would remember Christ. We would remember him above all. And that this would be a season where he is magnified in our hearts and in our homes. Would you pray with me as we close?